Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning again on this uh, special post-Christmas edition of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. What does it mean for our lives to be a living demonstration of the gospel? Like, that's one of our callings as Christians, to be a living demonstration of the gospel, to make the gospel visible, beautiful, and substantial. So if I'm operating out of a Christmas worldview, and Jesus came to make God known, Um, then what does it look like for me to demonstrate the character and the ways of God to other people? In order to be a a living demonstration of the gospel and write a, what what do they call it, like a provisional provisional demonstration of the kingdom of heaven amidst the kingdoms of this world, something like that. Like, I have to actually know what the kingdom is like. I have to know what the king is like, the character and the ways of God. But I also have to know what the kingdom is like. So, you know, we pray in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what are we praying for? Like, do we actually, would we recognize it? Do we recognize the ways in which the kingdoms of this world either are or are not like the kingdom of heaven? How would we know the difference? Well, we have to be familiar with the original. We have to be familiar with the kingdom of heaven and we have to know what it's like. And who are we going to ask? Well, we're going to ask Jesus. (laughs) We're going to ask Jesus. And so there are lots of places in the Gospels where Jesus talks about what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. And so let me encourage you to look those up and spend some time with the Lord examining what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus not only tells us, Jesus also shows us. If you want to know what a living demonstration of the gospel looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like and you want to be a provisional demonstration of it, then look at Jesus and listen to Jesus. So what does Jesus have to say about the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's populated by those who are like little children. Truly, I say to you, he says in Matthew 18, unless you are converted and become like little children, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So there is a childlikeness, a, a trusting in God with a childlike faith approaching God with the expectation of a child. In Matthew 19, Jesus says to his disciples, truly, I say you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does he mean by that? Talks about it being easier to, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. I mean, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means it's difficult, but it's certainly not impossible because with all things, or with Christ, all things are possible. But it's, he's talking there about the affection of the heart and the dependence on self and self-reliance and every other self-oriented sin. Like, right? It's hard. It's hard for us when we become self-righteous and self-dependent. It's hard for us then to humble ourselves and turn to Jesus and rely on him for everything we need in terms of getting us in to heaven. In Matthew 16, 
Jesus says that he's giving to Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean to have the keys to the kingdom of heaven? I mean, it's Jesus who unlocks um, that reality before us, right? Do you have Jesus? If so, then you have the key to the kingdom of heaven. In that context, Peter is acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the affirmation that comes. That is the key. That's, that's the well, that's the key that opens the door. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes um, to bed and he gets up uh, and the seed sprouts and it grows. I mean, he doesn't know how. The soil produces crops all by itself. First the blade and then the head and the mature grain. God is uh, casting his grace upon the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And it takes root in the lives of some and it grows. Um, you and I don't really know how that works. And you and I don't really know in advance in, in which heart it's going to grow. But it does. And I thank God for that. In Matthew 13, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then he hid again. And he was so overjoyed, he sold all that he had in order that he might buy the field. Or it's like uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, He went and he sold all that he had in order to buy it. What would you give up? What would you exchange for the greatness of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven? If the kingdom of heaven is like these things that Jesus describes, then it's very different than the world in which we live. How about you and I um, spend some time getting to know the king and getting to know what the kingdom of heaven is like before we get out there into the world that God so loves as living or provisional demonstrations um, of the kingdom of heaven to others, spend a little time with the Lord today in his word and ask him to reveal to you not only himself, but what the kingdom of heaven is like and how he's inviting you to be an ambassador of his kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. It says in Colossians 2 that we're to be rooted and established in our faith. Um, Paul describes to Timothy what it looks like to be a pillar um, of of the truth, a a well-established pillar that bears public witness to the reality of who Christ is. What does that mean and what does that look like? Dr. Matthew Sleeth is going to join us for a series of conversations over the next several months on this topic. Um, We are going to think together about the 10 pillars of of our faith as Christians. Matthew, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, it's great to be with you, Carmen. It's a beautiful morning. It is a beautiful morning. It is a beautiful morning. So let's talk about um, faith, what it means to be a person of faith, and specifically what it means to be a person of faith in Jesus Christ. Um, You've been a Christian for a while, and you've been thinking about um, you know, sort of like what the constellation of not just ideas, but practices, habits or disciplines or qualities are um, evidence of and necessary for the Christian life. Yes. Um, it, it, interesting that you should uh, w- quote the uh, scripture about being rooted in our faith, because 
uh, about a year ago, I was asked to come and teach a, a, a group at a state park. Um, and they said, how do we become oaks of righteousness? Um, and, and, and give us a couple of days and teach us about that. And I came up with a list of things from scripture, from my own life and from observation. I'll just go down the list and for listeners, this is what we're going to be talking with over the several months. Uh, the first thing is to seek God first. The next is to listen to God. And, and when we get to that, we'll talk about uh, Scripture and how we interpret. Then to talk to God, that's about a prayer life. Rest with God, that's about Sabbath. Practice hospitality. Practice generosity. Tell the truth. Look on God. Invest in friendships and be grateful. So that's our that's our uh, set of pillars, if you will, and uh, I'm just delighted to have the opportunity to to walk through that list and and uh, for us to be able to talk about it. So let's start with um with this first pillar, um, seek God, which is you know um, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. What does it look like to seek God and to put God first? Well, when Jesus is talking about that, he's talking about all the things we worry about. What are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? Which neighborhood are we going to live in? And that sort of thing. Uh, The things that we're taught in elementary school are the um, the necessities of life that you can't do without, which is kind of food, clothing, and shelter. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 even before that, you're supposed to seek the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And and if we do that first, he promises that all the other stuff will fall in place behind it. And that's that's certainly been my uh, experience. And I know we came to a point in, in my life, in my family's life, when, when I became a Christian 20 years ago, and God was calling me uh, to, to seek him. And that involved me quitting my job as a director of an emergency department. Now, I'm not saying everybody should do that, um, but the the meaning of that was that God wanted me to put him first before all those things I held to be, you know, God's before that point. And many of us, uh, our job is our God. And, and um, uh, you know, people who care, you know, more about work than anything else. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to spend your life going up the ladder of success and then finding out that the ladder was leaned up against the wrong wall, you know, type of thing. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> so good. Matthew, um, let's uh, continue this conversation in just a moment. We're talking with Dr. Matthew Sleeth and we're talking about, um, you know, what is our faith established on? How do we become oaks of righteousness? What does it look like to be rooted and established in your faith? Well, it starts with, seeking God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus then says all the other things are going to be added unto you. What does it look like to reorient and reprioritize our lives in order that we really do genuinely put God first? More of this up next on Mornings with Carmen. Please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible gift to Faith Radio before the year ends. You can give now by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 or join the support team at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks a lot. We're talking with Dr. Matthew Sleeth, and we're going to do this over the course of, of months. We're going to... 
um, establish these 10 pillars of our faith, leading off today with seeking God, putting God first in our lives. So, Matthew, um, there's a lot of people responding to the reality of what? He quit his job when he became a Christian? Like, what? Um, how, how do we know that we're putting God first? And one of the things that you alluded to is, you know, maybe there was this thing that I had set up as a God or a false idol that was competing with God for my attention. So can you talk a little bit about like that reality and how you identify that in your own life and then, you know, how you evaluate whether or not you're putting God first? Sure. At that that point, uh, 20 years ago, I um, I had come from a, a, a very, very modest background. So becoming a physician was, you know, just absolutely central to my identity. Um, it, it's good work and everything. And there are good things that can drag us away from God. But God wanted me uh, to to be focused on him solely. And so um, I, I would never urge somebody to just quit your job willy-nilly. You do this with prayer and you do this um, uh, talking to other folks. But uh, there are many, many things that keep us from putting God first in our life. And Jesus warns us about this. One of the the irresistible ones is family. Uh, But Jesus says, if you don't love me more than your family, and he puts it even more (laughs) strongly than that, you're going to miss out on my blessings. You're going to miss out on knowing who I really am. So as I've worked through this with uh, groups of people, as I teach through these 10 pillars, and it takes two or three days to do it. Um, uh, what's really interesting is what people come up with themselves that competes uh, for God. And that's everything from work to travel to family, individuality, health and looks, which you just mentioned, um, media, technology, sports, success, food, retirement. There's just so many things um, that are competing uh, for our, our soul, our, the major interest, we've got to consciously say, God, help me every day put you first, and, and, uh, and everything else will fall in place behind that. Mm. How, do I, um, how do I evaluate that? Like, like, how do we know? I mean, we can well, give I think, intellectual, I mean, we can give intellectual assent to what you're saying, like, right? God should yeah, I be think, first. I think you need to sit down with another person, uh, somebody you feel mm. very comfortable with and say, what am I spending my money on? Where's my time going? Um, you know, if I'm watching a screen six hours a day and it's not involved in work, that's probably God for me. Um, and, uh, you know, and we can have habits. People can uh, be, you know, addicted to certain things. And by the way, the addictive uh, power of something isn't how high it gets you. It's how how low you get if you don't have it. So for some people, that might be sports. If they're going to miss the game this weekend, that's crushing to them. Um, it, imagine if we felt that way about we're missing church and you're crushed by it. That's how you mm. you work through you. It's where's my time and my money and my interests going? What am I excited about? What am I looking forward to? And if that's not God, um, we need to. We've probably got some work to do. That's so good. I mean, if I were to really sit down and like, not just. I mean, you know, you've 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 probably done this if you've ever tried to lose weight. You've been in, you've been asked by somebody in an accountable relationship to keep a food journal and then to go over it. But what about a time journal or what about, you know, actually opening up 
I mean, you know, your check register anymore, that doesn't help. But open up your, your Venmo account um, and, and all of the things that you're subscribed to that go out in like automatic payments. Like, where is your money going? What are you investing in? What are you supporting? What are you spending not only your money, but your life on? Like, what does a time journal look like? And then I love this conversation about addictive power. It's not how high something gets you, but how low you go if you don't get it. Um, Matthew, I just think about FOMO and this fear of missing out that is, uh, you know, aggravated by uh, by social media, um, particularly, you know, for young women on Instagram. And I just think, wow, there's a great conversation to be had there as well. Um, how do we eliminate distractions and get back on track if we recognize that, you know, some of those things are, you know, are are out of tune or misaligned for us in terms of seeking God? I think the first thing we we need to always have a knee jerk is to go to God first, and that is to say, God, this thing is competing uh, uh, for my attention, for my money, for my time, uh, for my excitement, and um, and and to acknowledge what it is. Uh, I like your idea of keeping a journal, even about this. And and to find somebody that you're accountable with, uh, somebody who can't stop playing video games, that sort of thing, needs to have an accountability uh, uh, partner uh, that you can be truthful with and to understand that seeking God is a process that will take a lifetime. You're never mm. going to you're never going to get there. Um, because we are so separated uh, from God and we live in a world that wants to drag us away that every day we have to renew that commitment to seeking God first. Mm. Somebody, um, you know, uh, texting in saying, wow, the, um, the acknowledgement of how much time I am spending as, uh, you know, as a gauge of whether or not I'm really seeking God first Apparently yesterday, Matthew, I um, I acknowledged that most people spend a couple of hours every day somewhere on some social media platform, but they certainly don't spend a couple of hours in the Word of God, um, and that was particularly convicting for this for this one person yesterday. She actually kept a time journal yesterday just of this specific thing, um, and then was particularly convicted that she was spending eighty times as much time on social media as she was in the Word of God. Well, there you go. 80 times. That's a pretty, um, that, that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, for me, when I became a Christian, the activity in my life, I said, this just as inconsistent was television. And I, I know that's a generation ago, but, but I said, I think this is inconsistent with my seeking God. And, and so we haven't had television for 20 years. Uh, you know what? It, it, I, I'm still, uh, a functioning human being, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, um, uh, many of these things we think we can't live without are, in fact, um, you know, peripheral and passing away. When we are seeking God first, we're investing in the eternal. Um, the things that we pay attention to now, we're not going to be worried with a thousand years from now. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Um, Matthew, we better leave it right there. Um, on the eliminating distractions, I think that the invitation to like confess it, like right, recognize it and confess it, and then ruthlessly eliminate the things that are competing with God. And we do that by actually um, filling those spaces with with other things, like actually start doing and start investing in the eternal things, and they will push out all of those um, those things that are currently competing with God. Uh, right. It's that um, 
Absolutely. Um, expulsive, expulsive power of a new affection, right? Right. And that's, that's what we're going to be going over in the coming months. <clears throat> I love that. I love that. Um, thank you so much for starting the conversation with us. We all want to be um, oaks of righteousness rooted and established in our faith. So we're going to have this conversation with Dr. Matthew Sleeth over the course of months, starting today in the 10 pillars of our faith. The first one, seek God, put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else is going to be added unto you as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, friends, in this uh, period of time between Christmas and the new year, we are um, sharing with you some conversations that we um, originally aired earlier in the year. So we're going to talk with Ronnie Kurtz. Um, We talked with him at the end of October. The book is Fruitful Theology. So here's the question um, before we jump to that conversation. Uh, Have you done a fruit inspection in your life lately? A fruit inspection? Galatians 5.22 is what I have in mind here. Have you inspected your life in terms of the uh, fruitfulness? Like, do you have a uh, a harvest of righteousness to present to the Lord here at the end of the year, a harvest of love, a harvest of joy, a harvest of peace? Do you have more patience this year than you did last year, more kindness, demonstrations of more goodness and more faithfulness? Have you demonstrated a deeper or greater level of gentleness? How about self-control? Is God producing these in ever more abundant measure in your life? What does your fruit look like for the year past? Do you have more this year than you had last year? Do you want more in the year to come than you had in the year now past? Well, that's the conversation we're gonna have with Ronnie Kurtz. The book is Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Ronnie Kurtz joins us today. He's a professor at Cedarville University. He's an author as well. We're going to talk about his book, Fruitful Theology, how the life of the mind leads to the life of the soul. And actually, if you want a good um, little taste and see of the book, you could go to the gospelcoalition.org today and read, um, read Ronnie's piece, Why Do the Theologians Rage? Ronnie Kurtz, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it and appreciate you and what you do here. Well, likewise, likewise. And um, our, our, um, ongoing concern and prayers for your family. The last time that we had planned to talk, you you had a family emergency and we prayed for you on air um, related to that. And so just, you know, just continuing to uphold you as a brother in Christ um, in the midst of the realities of life. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Carmen. It was um, kind of a, a chaotic day. Uh, sorry again for having to miss our last interview. Sadly, the the time we were scheduled, my stepmother passed away. And so, um she was a faithful believer, and I'm confident she's with the Lord now, but uh, appreciate you being flexible and having me back. I really do appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about division 
And then let's talk about something better than that. I love the approach that you take in this piece at the Gospel Coalition because it helps us really get into the conversation about a more fruitful theology by recognizing, you know, the the poor fruit being produced now by much of our public witness in the church. So, you know, talk about a little bit about, you know, the the division, the reality of division um, and the danger of it. Absolutely. When I was preparing to write this book, I was working through Galatians and Paul does something pretty interesting in Galatians 5, and when he gets to the part of Galatians 5 that we all know pretty well is the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm glad we know that, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. But maybe a part that we don't know as well is not only does Paul list the fruit of the Spirit, which will lead to bearing one another's burden, as he says, but Paul also lists some vices in the works of the flesh, and those vices are things like impurity, idolatry, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, etc. And he says, he warns us, and he says, if you practice these things, it will lead to the devouring of one another instead of bearing one another's burdens. And really the diagnostic question that came up in my mind as I was reading that as a theologian myself is... Which list of adjectives most properly and most accurately defines what takes place as quote unquote theological discourse today? Is it kindness and gentleness and self-control or is it outbursts of anger, dissension and envy? That became a a convicting question, especially in our particular day. It seems like today is a day in which churches who have largely enjoyed unity have had to really fight for it in a way that they haven't had before. And that could be because of, you know, COVID implications or cultural implications or political implications or theological implications, you name it. But it just seems like division is a growing sickness in our day. And while theology isn't a good enough, theology is not a sufficient enough condition to fix all of the division. I do think it is a helpful one though. And that's what I'm kind of getting at with that piece and in the book at large. What um, if our speech and our conduct were seasoned more with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? How might that not only improve our public witness, but frankly, you know, our mental health and well-being? Like, wouldn't we just experience better life? (laughs) Like the the, the joy of the Lord, if we were living lives that were producing this kind of fruit versus... um, you know, lives that are marked by the kind of anger and hostility and uh, and infighting and backbiting um, that that we see people engage in frequently, um, even amongst you know those people who we would call ministry leaders. So I want to I want to mm-hmm. talk about something that you said um, because you described yourself as a theologian, and I would like for you to invite everyone listening right now to consider themselves in the same way. Because this is about, yeah, this is about the life of the mind and you don't have to be, you don't have to have a PhD and you don't have to be a professor at a Christian university to be a theologian. We are all operationally theologians. And so will you invite us all into this? Absolutely. Uh, You're hitting on something I care very much about. I, uh, I define theology, not in a new way, typically in a 2000 year old faith, 
uh, novel is not good, but uh, I define theology uh, along with a lot of really faithful thinkers in Christian history as uh, the contemplation of God and all things in relation to God. I think that's a, a really good, simple definition. Anytime we think about God or anything in relation to God, we are participating in, in theology. And so what this means as an implication is without fail, everyone in the world, any listener listening right now, you might not think of yourself this way, but you are a theologian. Anytime you have thoughts about God, thoughts about things relating to God, anytime you speak about God, you are participating in theology. Even the thought that God doesn't exist, that in itself is a theology, just an incorrect one. And so the question is not, are you a theologian? That's settled. You are. By virtue of having thoughts about God, you are a theologian. So then I think the most more pertinent question is not, are you a theologian, but will you be a faithful one? I think that's a much more pertinent question. If you're a Christian, the question of whether or not you're a theologian is settled for you. So now you get to press into faithfulness. Hmm. And when um, when we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about fruitfulness, um, which brings us, you know, full circle back around to fruitful theology. Fruitful theology is the name of the book, how the life of the mind leads to the life of the soul. Um, and if you if we have whetted your appetite for this and you saying to yourself, all right, I want it even if just for the appendix, I'm new to theology, where do I start? Um, but then I also want to cultivate in my own life the ability to operate out of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, be strong in mind and gentle in spirit, um, then this is the book for you. And we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Ronnie, let's talk a little bit about um, the appendix. Uh, my, those listening right now know I, I am a junkie for what's at the end of the book. Like, I love the appendices <laughs> because I feel like that's where authors are really putting the stuff they want readers to have. Um, the book is one thing, the appendices and like the resources that come at the end of the book, I feel like are the gifts that an author is trying to put in my hands. And so talk with mm-hmm. us about the, uh, the appendix. I'm new to theology. Where do I start? Yeah. So I finished the book, turned it into my editor, uh, Taylor Combs at B&H. Who and... we love and who is planning a church. And we've had on the show to talk about that. And there you go. Oh, we love him. Good. I know. Taylor and Lindsay are some of our favorites. I know. There you go. Wow. Well, my respect for the show just jumped to the roof as if it wasn't already. (laughs) Taylor is a dear friend, and I love love that guy. And uh, it was sad to see him leave as an editor, but so thankful that he planted a church. What an amazing, amazing man. Um, But him and Ashley Gorman were the two editors of the book. And after I turned in the – after I turned in the first draft – Taylor had a lot of really great insight, things to say. But one of the things he said that was really helpful was he said, hey, what would you what would you think about considering my worry is that uh, a reader might read this and be like, OK, I'm with you. Theology should lead to the fruit of the spirit. But but how do I even do theology? And so Taylor said, what would you think about adding an appendix that was really just kind of an introductory, you know, for those who are pretty new to theology um, and even those who have done theology a little bit more, just kind of a refresher of I'm sold. I believe I need to be a faithful theologian. So where do I start? And at first I was like, are you asking me to put a uh, 
a guide to how to do theology in like 2000 words. And he's like, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. And so my hope is that it's accessible, that even if you're really new to theology, it could be a good place to start. And I really just walk through, there's nothing brilliant in that appendices. It's really just, these are the building blocks. And if you want to pursue theology in a robust way, really have an active life of the mind, uh, these are some of the building blocks to begin with. Um, Ronnie, I feel like this um, this book, Fruitful Theology, uh, is, is like the perfect um, book to give to somebody who grew up in the church and has kind of been um, cruising along in their Christian life um, and really has not sought to cultivate the mind of Christ as an adult and, and now recognizes, you know what? Um, I know the story of Daniel and David and Goliath and some of the parables and maybe I know the Beatitudes and the Lord's prayer, but I do not have the answers to the questions that are being asked by my kids or that are being pressed in upon me by the culture today. And I, I don't just need more Bible study. I need um, the way to apply the mind of Christ um, day in and day out to everything, to everything. And that mm. is, that's what you're talking about here, um, because this is not a what to, this is a how to. This is how um, do I use the spirit that God has given me? Like, how do I cooperate actively with the presence of the Holy Spirit instead of cooperating with the spirit of the age? And how do Mm. I let that change the way that I think and then speak and then act? That that is what this book is in my um, humble estimation. Yeah, and you're on something important there. One of the things I think we forget about even the title, Fruit of the Spirit, is this is a spiritual exercise. These are the fruit Mm. of the spirit. And so if we if we ask ourselves, what would a spiritual, Christian, active, intellectual life look like? Well, I think if our mind is really defined and captivated by the spirit of God, it will look like the fruit of the spirit. And it's really uh, sometimes when I talk about the book, I laugh at how simple of a concept it is. But really, this is just how to be a Christian and think. And, and I think you're right. I, I, one of the things I, one of the impulses to write the book is I fear there are many people in the world who are somewhat aware of the Lord and maybe aware of some of his stories. But what they haven't done is they have not waded into the deep waters that is the Christian intellectual life. And hear me, there is so much joy to be had when we contemplate God. He is so tremendously good and so tremendously gracious that when we spend our life turning our mind's eye his direction, you just simply will not be the same. You will Mm -hmm. be transformed. And sometimes we don't think of theology as practical, but I promise there is almost nothing more practical or pragmatic than getting a grander view of who God is and what he's doing in the world. We're going to ask Ronnie Kurtz um, to talk specifically about one of the chapters. I'm going to let him pick love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control as we talk about fruitful theology. And yes, we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. 
Sign up for the free Bible in a Year reading plan at MyFaithRadio.com and get everything you need to follow the plan each day and stay on track, including a printed schedule. Sign up now at MyFaithRadio.com. Love is patient. Love is kind. Never jealous. Free of pride. Love Continuing our conversation with Ronnie Kurtz, you can connect with him on Twitter and Facebook, Ronnie Kurtz, K-U-R-T-Z. You can also connect with him at Cedarville University. The book is Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul. We're giving away copies today. If you're a person who um, you really want to connect the life of the mind to the reality of your walk of faith, that's, um, that's what this is, uh, how to be a Christian and to think and then live and speak and walk your faith out in a way that um, really does honor Jesus uh, this is the book for you. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Ronnie, um, take us into one of the chapters. Um, give us a little bit of a taste of fruitful theology. Yeah. when uh, Whenever you said before we went off air that, that first, before that first break, I was like, oh no, which one do I want to pick? There's there's <laughs> so many, there's so much goodness in the fruit of the spirit, obviously. And I'll start with a a chapter that if you would have asked me before I started writing, which for the spirit, I was like, not sure what I was going to say. It probably would have been patience, mm-hmm. but it was in writing that chapter uh, that the Lord was really working on my heart. And so I'll start there with, with patience. I was sitting at a, uh, sitting at my computer with a blank screen and the uh, taunting cursor blinking at me, reminding me that I have nothing to say yet. And uh, nothing, nothing that I think is adequate. And my wife was next to me doing just a, normal Bible reading, and she was on a particularly hard part of Scripture. And out of frustration, she just kind of scoffed and said, oh, why does this have to be so hard? And it was in that moment and her being kind of real and authentic for a moment that I was like, that's exactly it. There really is. Some of this is hard. Uh, It is not microwavable to just have theological wisdom. And Listeners probably can relate to this. You've probably come across stretches of your Bible reading where you're like, I am not quite sure what is happening here. And one of the things that's interesting about the the theological life and the Christian life in general is that often it's in those moments that the Lord does a lot of work on our soul and on our mind. And so in that chapter, I use a, a quote from another theologian where he talks about, the right response to theology is having the limp of Jacob and the awe of Moses. And I think this is right. If we recall the story of Jacob when he wrestles the Lord and the Lord dislocates his hip, um, that's what I'm after. I'm after helping people grab hold of a tough portion of scripture and saying, I am not going to let go until I see the beauty here. Or grabbing hold of a tough theological concept and saying, I am not going to let go until I see the beauty here. Even if I have a dislocated hip, I will not let go. And so I hope we walk away from the theological process limping a little bit with the limp of Jacob that resolved to not let go until we see beauty. But then I hope that kind of wrestling, that kind of true trying to figure it out, praying through it, wrestling with your church, wrestling with other believers in a good way, um, leads to the awe of Moses. We know that when Moses conversed with the Lord on Mount Sinai, he comes back down from the mountain uh, and his face is glowing so much that his peers are legitimately fearful of him. And that's what a proper encounter with the Lord should do. It should transform us such that other people can even see it. 
so I want theology to be the kind of patient exercise where we grab hold of something tough and say, I'm not letting go until I understand this, until my mind has contemplated beauty. And once we contemplate that beauty, we will be transformed and have not just the limp of Jacob, but the awe of Moses. So it delights me to say that you've, you've like just described my husband. I mean, he's, you know, he's in his early 60s, but he delights like a child in like these yellow leaves falling from trees and alighting on, you know, on dark fir trees. And he's like, it just looks like a Christmas tree. And it's just like, I mean, he just <laughs> delights and he's just exalting God. And yesterday as we're driving, I mean, every t- I mean, I mean, there's a there's a bright red tree around every corner right now and a yellow one. And, a, and, a, and it doesn't matter because every single one he's just delighting over. And, it, you know, God is showing off and we're the beauty of creation, I think, is this incredible um, doorway into the conversations that you're inviting us to have. Um, and so, you know, maybe there is like a genuine connection between the idea of fruit. When we think about fruit, this like physical, natural item um, and fruit, when we talk about the spiritual, uh, the spiritual things that are cultivated within us by the presence of the spirit. Absolutely. Yes. I, I, I totally think so. I think the Lord is, I think you nailed it. I do think, or maybe your husband nailed it. I don't remember who said it, but I do think the Lord is showing off and creation is mm-hmm. one avenue. Again, that definition of theology, the contemplation of God and all things in relation to God. When we think of God's handiwork, it is an invitation to worship him and hopefully an invitation to move beyond just, you know, general revelation and also into special revelation as well and dig into the scriptures. Amen. Oh, amen. All right. What a delight to talk with you. Ronnie, thank you so very much for being here with us today. Thank you for the gift of the conversation and the book. Um, great, um, great roundup conversation of the book posted today at the gospelcoalition.org. If you want to go there and read that, Why Do the Theologians Rage? The full book is Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Leads to the Life of the Soul. And we are giving away copies today. So enter the drawing by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Ronnie, um, thank you so much. What a delight. Oh, thank you. Thank you again. And thanks for your grace with my family and understanding there. I appreciate you and what you uh, do. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Well, when we uh, close out a show here, we, we like to say, well, that's a wrap. Um, maybe more often than not, you hear that when um, a production is wrapping up. Well, we are wrapping up the year here at Faith Radio. And so this seems a particularly good time to ask you to wrap up a gift and send it to us. Year-end giving uh, is something that I'm going to invite you to consider here. Um, if Faith Radio has been a blessing to you, if this program has been a blessing to you, if God has worked in a particular way through this ministry in your life in the year past, would you consider a year-end gift to Faith Radio? We would sure appreciate it. Um, we would be happy to unwrap it uh, in the year ahead in ways that will honor God and edify people. That is really the heart of who we are and what we do. Hey, thank you so much for spending this time with me and spending um, part of your day with me. I count it a real privilege and a pleasure to um, to be able to share time together Thank you so much. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, 
Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.